0: Very good. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, I appreciate so much Pastor Wesco giving me his pulpit on Sunday morning, these last several Sunday mornings. My condition is more predictable in the morning than it is in the afternoon and evening. And I also have been glad to give him an opportunity to work on the updating the Constitution. That's something that we've wanted to do for quite a long time and uh, just haven't been able to get around to it. And that, along with other administrative things, has been good for him to be able to do. And uh, it's been a blessing for me because I've been able to study and preach and not have to worry about all those administrative things that he used to have to worry about. So I just praise the Lord for the opportunity and thankful for him giving me this opportunity. My resident theologian came to me yesterday and said, you know, you really need to include this verse somewhere in your message tomorrow. And I thought, you know, that is really a good verse for what we're talking about. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That is quite a statement. And we have been going over the broad scope of Scripture in our study of dispensationalism, and this has a lot of relevance to what we have been talking about. And we've been talking about the dispensations in Scripture as seen through the major covenants of the Bible. The major covenants in the Bible do indeed divide the Bible into sections of stewardship periods. A dispensation, after all, is actually a stewardship. A uh, rule of life given to a steward as he looks after the house of God and of course God is the landowner and the uh, house is the world and we are the stewards that God has commissioned to take care of that house I want to uh, look at the dispensations here for just a moment I realize you might be thinking this is a little laborious that he keeps going through this, but I am determined that you're going to be able to know the covenants and the dispensations when we get done here. So what I'd like to do now, and I don't want to take a lot of time to do it, is just some of you know this quite well, so don't hesitate. Just everybody who who knows it or thinks you know it, holler out the answer, and then we can move through these real quickly, and some of you who aren't familiar with them will have them reviewed in your mind. So what is the first great covenant of the Bible? The... Edenic covenant, okay? And the uh, dispensation that goes with that is? Louder. Conscience, conscience, okay? Conscience, or innocence, I'm sorry. I'm ahead of myself, okay? That's okay. What is the second great covenant? Adamic, and the dispensation? Conscience. Good, you caught up with me. Uh, The third great covenant of the Bible is the? And the dispensation is? Say it again. Human government, right. The fourth? Abrahamic, the Abrahamic covenant. And with that is the dispensation of promise, promise. The next covenant is? Mosaic covenant and the dispensation of the? the law right and after the mosaic covenant comes the new covenant and that is a dispensation of the church very good and then last of all we have what covenant the kingdom covenant or in scriptural terms the new covenant stated again and the dispensation is that of the kingdom right right now as we look at dispensations One thing that we haven't emphasized a lot is that dispensations help us to understand how to interpret and apply scripture. For example, let's ask the question, should we try to find the tree of life? Well, first of all, God put man out of the garden and prevented him from being near the tree of life. Second of all, the tree of life was certainly destroyed in the flood. And third of all, it appears again in the eternal state. So the tree of life was something that was present in the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve to know about, for us to know about, and for them to see there. But it's not something that we actually look for in in our present dispensation. Should we eat shellfish and ham? You know, if you read your Bible directly in the Old Testament, it forbids you to eat shellfish and ham in the Old Testament law. But we don't worry about that today, why? Well, the reason is that in that period of stewardship of the Old Testament law, as an illustration of being separate from the world, God required that of his people, Israel in particular. But in the new covenant, the old covenant of the law was completely annulled and set aside. And we don't live under the stipulations of the law anymore. So the people of Israel were commanded not to eat shellfish and ham but that is not applicable to us today. Now there may be some reasons we may adjust our diet for health reasons or whatever, but it's not a mandate of scripture. One that's a little bit more sensitive today is the issue of sodomy or homosexuality. In the Old Testament law, sodomy, homosexuality, received the death penalty in the theocracy and in the kingdom. Uh, should we follow that procedure today? Well, the answer is, in the kingdom, in the theocracy, that was true. But today we're in the age of the church, and number one, the church has no penal power. It has no authority given by God to execute people, as the theocracy did in the Old Testament. We're in a different stewardship. What is our responsibility today? Our responsibility today is give them and everybody else the gospel, We want to share the gospel that gives deliverance and salvation. And uh, we're not in a law-code theocratic era. Uh, We could talk about many other things. For example, we're going to come today to the Ten Commandments. Do the Ten Commandments apply to us? No. Do I get any reactions on that? As they're in the Old Testament covenant, they don't. But do you know that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament epistles? And so the concise statement in one place of the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus chapter 20 is helpful to us, even though technically that is not the reason we are following them because the law is dead to us, but they are principles that are repeated in the New Testament 9 of the 10. And of course, the one that is not repeated is the one about the Sabbath. And the church is not obligated and does not observe the Sabbath. We observe Sunday, the first day of the week, in commemoration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we could talk about nations versus one world. Last week we talked about Noah and the beginning of national identity through the tongues judgment that happened at Babel. And so nations were established as a result of that. And, and that carries on through today. That is something that even goes into eternity. So we see, as we look at these different covenants, we see some things carrying all the way through. We see some things that are true for a specific period of time. And we may see some things that are true for a specific period of time and then are renewed later in history. And having an understanding of dispensations helps us to understand how uh, these statements should be applied in terms of who they were addressed to and what period of time it was. But also, together, the dispensations demonstrate that only Christ's sacrifice and shed blood make possible the redemption of men. And this is the theme we're going to kind of build around as we look down through the dispensations and continue on from there. I also want to point out, now that we've looked at several dispensations, that there is a pattern that emerges that we have been following, whether you've noticed or not in your notes, there's a pattern that emerges as we look at these different periods of times. This is a biblically established pattern that I'm identifying here to you by observation as I look at these different dispensations. And this is a pattern. First of all, you have a covenant which is given. And, of course, that's very clear. We've talked a great deal about that. And then you have a responsibility that is assigned to fulfill the stipulations of that covenant or the stipulations of that covenant in addition to all those previous to it that may have carried over or may have been changed. So there's a responsibility that is assigned to mankind or to a particular segment of mankind to follow and obey God. Thirdly, there is a failure to follow God's instruction. The guideline that God has set down in the covenant, or in the covenants, all the covenants previously work together, man fails to follow through on God's instructions in every stewardship in each of the seven periods of time. And then there follows a judgment from God. For example, in the Garden of Eden, we had the, the Edenic Covenant, and then the, the rule, guide, stewardship was over the garden itself. And he was told he could eat of every tree of the garden but one. That was one aspect of the covenant. There were others, but that was one aspect. Well, he failed to meet that aspect of the covenant. He did not follow God's instructions. And judgment followed in the form of the Adamic curse. And so in the next dispensation, we have the, the Adamic covenant. Responsibility for man to live by his conscience, to do right. And he failed to do that, the whole world was thrown into chaos, and then there was the judgment of the flood that came. And we could take each dispensation and trace them through this way. So we're going to just quickly today uh, overview the different dispensations we've already talked about. The Edenic covenant began the dispensation of, of innocence, okay, innocence. Here is the, the period of time that explains to us where we come from. You, uh, many of you, we've lived so long with, with our understanding of the Bible or young people with your understanding of the Bible that it's somewhat axiomatic to you that God directly created us in his image. But that has a lot to do with your worldview. Uh, if, if you don't have a sense of where you came from, It affects how you think you are and what you think of other people around you. And uh, having this foundation here establishes the basis of our outlook for life. Everybody wonders at some point in time, if they haven't already been pre-trained before they've had a chance to think about it, where did I come from? Why am I here? And, and here in the Bible, in the very early chapters, there is this foundation laid down. You are here because God created you, like him in his image, to communicate and fellowship with you, because he wanted someone to fellowship with. He wanted someone to love. And he found, as it worked out, that he was going to have to make a big sacrifice to have someone who would love and fellowship with him and be able to fellowship with him. So we, we have these foundational principles. How did we get here? What is our nature, the fallen nature of sin? We find out that sin came into the world and that's why men are the way they are today. Yes, they do some good things, but given to their own, they, they do not fully accept God and all that he, he stands for and represents. So here is a statement, you'll find the statement in your notes, to summarize from our perspective here what this dispensation teaches us and here is one aspect one summary of it man is a sinner by his nature inherited from his ancestor Adam okay and so we go on to the next Adamic Covenant and it is the dispensation of conscience okay Now, here we have man left on his own. Satan said, you'll be his gods. And so the idea, was even God acknowledged that fact as they came later before he came down and put him out of the garden. And the idea of being of gods, a god is one who says this is right and that is wrong. So you're going to be your own, own judge of what's right and wrong live by your own conscience, and we developed that in more detail about man having a somewhat of a natural inclination with regard to what is right and wrong, even without God's law. And man, when he was left to his conscience, utterly failed. He, he, he could not control himself. He fell victim to uh, Satan and his attacks. And as we remember reading back in chapter 6 of the book of Genesis, we had this statement that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Satan had intervened and was seeking to destroy the race. And so God intervened and found one man who would stand for him, who had not been polluted in all that had taken place. And he, through that one man, saved the remnant as he brought the great judgment of the flood, Upon the earth, And so we have the uh, flood of Noah. So the Adamic covenant uh, was, was a curse in essence. And, and man, when he was left to himself to make his own decisions purely on his own, could not meet the holy standards of God. And as a result, the consequences of his sin led him to the depths of depravity. And so as a summary statement for this section, we might say this. Man in his sin nature left to himself, will sink to the deepest depths of depravity. That's what happened during that period of time. Okay, and then came the Noahic covenant, which was the dispensation of human government, okay? Uh, When God brought them off the ark, he established some restraints to keep the same thing from happening that had happened before. Now, remember in the Noahic Covenant, the statement to uh, multiply and fill the earth was repeated. In fact, it was not only repeated, it was emphasized because it was repeated twice in chapter 9 of the book of Genesis to Noah. God's plan was for the families to multiply And and one family unit would go off in this direction in that part of the earth and another family would go off in another direction in part of the earth and they'd multiply and fill the earth. But rather than doing that, they they circled around one personality, one charismatic personality by the name of Nimrod. And uh, under his influence and leadership, they founded a city that rebelled against God that was the opposite of the anarchy before the flood, and now it was a dictatorship run by Nimrod after the flood. And they defied God. And so God came down and, interestingly enough, made happen what he had designed to happen in the first place. He confused their languages and they scattered throughout the whole world, and his command to fill the earth was thereby accomplished by dividing them up and sending them all over the world, and in essence setting up a bit of a competition to... Uh, to build their nation, build their, their people, whatever. Uh, I, my message last week, uh, I got a, a, some feedback from, it, and I got a lot of good feedback, but there was one feedback I got from a significant person in the church, namely pastor. He <laughs> said, I'm not quite sure I fully understand what connection you were making between Noah and voting. So I thought maybe I ought to make a statement about that to clarify a little bit. The dispensation... Here is the dispensation of human government. And so we have the formation of nations. So we're talking about national identity, first of all. We're talking about various nations. And when Noah came off the ark and he was given that covenant, Noah was the patriarchal father of his family and of the race. Nobody else was alive. He was a patriarch. Now, if things developed the way God wanted them to develop, these various families that were born under under him, born from his progeny, the three couples, and they would uh, have children, and these families would go out into the various parts of the world, and they would be patriarchal, in the sense of the father being the head, and then gradually, as the number grew, there would become a national identity, where maybe it'd be a group of patriarchs would be involved, and you'd see the, the development of human government, which was authorized by that covenant. So when Noah came off the ark, he was the patriarch, he was the head of the government, he was everything rolled into one. And he had great influence over what would happen in the future by the way he conducted himself and the way he, uh, the way he gave a testimony to what God was doing. And he failed in that because he, for whatever reason, somehow got off track and got uh, drunk or intoxicated and as a result of that some things took place that might better have not taken place. And so his influence influence over the national system that was to follow, he did not use it as he might have had he understood his position and the importance of it. He had an opportunity to influence the future of the race and he failed in that to a certain degree at least, when he got drunk. And so my point was that as Noah had an opportunity to influence the future of the nations as time went by, so we, by voting, have an opportunity to influence the direction that our country goes. And I was trying to draw a parallel there. Uh, The answer to the question, did Noah vote, is, well, his vote was not one that fostered the plan of God in propagating the national system. And uh, if we fail to use our opportunities to vote, then we don't use our influence that God has given us providentially to do what we can do to promote godliness and standards according to the Bible. So that's what I was trying to say. Maybe that made it clear. Maybe that made it even more unclear. I really encourage you, you know, if you have a question, uh, some have come and asked me different things at different times. I really appreciate that. So we have the dispensation of human government. And our conclusion from that is that man can be restrained from his evil tendencies and encouraged to do good. That's what Romans 13 says. That's a paraphrase of it. But ultimately, his sinful nature overtakes him. The national system is not going to bring peace and deliverance to our world. Uh, on the other hand, some people are so frustrated with it that they think by getting rid of nations that that will bring peace and unity to our world. No, that will bring about the same thing we had before the flood when we had no national entities. And so the, uh, the nationalistic system, or we, we could apply this in other ways too, not just national systems, but organizations in our society that are designed to promote good and are designed to discourage Uh, that which is wrong, they are helpful. They may help in, in temporal situations, but ultimately they will not solve man's basic problem, that he is a sinner by nature. He has to be transformed somehow. He can't reform himself. He somehow has to be transformed. And you're going to see how this develops as we move along. Now we come to the Abrahamic covenant, and we want to think a little bit more about that one. We haven't talked about that one yet. And it is the dispensation of promise, promise. Uh, We'll see later that this title for this period of time is actually used of Abraham in the New Testament four or five times. It talks about the promises or promise that God gave to Abraham. Now I want to notice some things. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 12. Would you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12? I uh, have been trying as much as possible to read these different covenants to you. We did that in the Edenic Covenant, the Adamic Covenant, and Noah Covenant, and now we're to the Abrahamic Covenant. And so we want to look here. I, I think it's important that we read these words from scripture and actually understand that these are the words that the the covenants that God said and and created for these various individuals we have a a literal historical record here of these various covenants now when we get into some of the later covenants they're so involved it would be impossible for us to read them all but here in the beginning some of them are relatively short and so in chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 we have recorded the Abrahamic covenant. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and to a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him, that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed." This is wonderful. What a contrast to the Adamic covenant. The Adamic covenant was a, was a terrible curse on mankind. Even nature was changed. The, the Noahic covenant sought to kind of put things in some type of a control situation And uh, minimize, remember it reduced the effects of the curse on the creation that had initially come because Lamech's son, Lamech cried out for relief and God gave him a son named Noah which meant comfort and he, through the flood, reduced the impact of the curse. You know, animals feared men. They didn't pursue them for their supper anymore. And the thorns that came forth from the ground weren't as severe as they had been before. So here we come to the Abrahamic coming. The Abrahamic coming is, is very interesting because it's positive. It it's shows hope. It looks to the future and says, I'm going to do something great. But it's also interesting because it now, instead of being to the entire race, zeroes in on one individual and his descendants. So whereas Adam and Eve represented all of us there in the garden... And after the flood, Noah and his family represented all that would follow after him. So those the first three covenants were to mankind in general. Now God is making this covenant with a specific individual. Now if you watch this very closely, this, there's something very amazing going on here. This, this is a wonderful way to, to get a grasp on this whole book. So that you can understand it. Uh, we, we talked about how, how the Garden of Eden... The uh, Danny Covenant showed us who we are and where we came from. The, the period of conscience showed us who we are after the, after the fall of man, that we were a wretched, sin-natured people. And then the Noahic Covenant put some re- restraints on that. And in the course of doing that, it established a national entity, individual nations. Now, notice what's happening here in the Abrahamic Covenant. God is picking one man, one nation in essence, out of all the vast nations of the earth, to do a special work with that one individual and his family, Abraham. And we're going to see that God, as history is developing here, and as we're learning more about ourselves and who we are and what we're like by the different stewardships, that at the same time, God very shrewdly and wisely is preparing a plan of salvation for us which began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 in the garden with the proto-evangelium, which was the announcement that there would be the seed of the woman, and, and continued down until now God has picked a particular family through whom he is going to bless. Look, let's just look at the, the covenant here and what it says. Chapter 12, we'll look at this. It says, God says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house to a land that I will show thee. Notice, first of all, it does not say to this land and then identifying the land. When Abraham set out, it was kind of like, it was kind of like what, a, a game of uh, clue, hide the clue. He, he had to go, God led him along the way, but he didn't tell him where he was going to end up. That required an act of faith on Abraham's part so God gave him instructions to go and he'd lead him to a land and Abraham obeyed and he went uh, and and was led by God to a particular land okay what's the second thing the second thing is and I will make of thee a great nation here's our concept in the Noah covenant God developed a nation type system And now he's picking a particular individual, patriarch, one of those families that went out from there. He said, I'm going to make you in particular a great nation. So that's the second thing that he promised. And then he says, I will bless thee and make thy name great. Indeed, God did that. God blessed him both materially and spiritually. It tells us that... uh, he was blessed materially by, by the servant who went from Abraham to get a wife for their son Isaac. When that servant got to Bethuel and uh, Laban and was given Rebekah, or asked for Rebekah to go back with him, it says that servant observed as he spoke to Bethuel and sought to persuade him. He said to him, Abraham, this is in Genesis twenty four thirty five. Abraham has become great. And he, God, hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold, and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. God blessed him immensely materially, and that's what he promised to do here. God also blessed him immensely spiritually. In Genesis three uh, Genesis fifteen six. I got a my tremor isn't the best for a computer. <laughs> Uh, he was blessed spiritually. This is an amazing statement, too. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says this, and he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. That's a very significant statement. Uh, that's characteristic of the dispensation of promise as God gave him a promise in this covenant, and he believed it, and, and it wasn't that he obeyed that, that was counted for righteousness. It was that he believed. And that is quoted in the New Testament on a couple of occasions to make the point that salvation is on the basis of faith. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus, speaking to the Jews, said to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That's amazing. That gives us some insight into Abraham's life. In terms of God having shown him some special things and blessed him in some special ways. So when it says, I will bless thee, God certainly did bless him both spiritually and and materially. It says, uh, I will make thy name great. Well, that certainly is true. Abraham's name appears throughout history as the Jews look back on him as the father of their nation. All through the New Testament, the Jews' claims against Jesus when he called for them to sincerely look to God in faith was, well, our father's Abraham. And Abraham is a familiar name to much of the world today. Even people who are not Christians know about the name Abraham. God uh, blessed Abraham in some special ways. Uh, He had his son Ishmael, who was the father when, when God had him send him forth, he also said that nations would come from him. And I think there were 12 sons that he had. And then Isaac had his son, and that eventually led to Israel or Jacob who had the 12 tribes of Israel. So indeed, Abraham was well known and a father not only to the Jewish race, but also to many other races through Ishmael. And God certainly has caused us a lot of trouble in the interim in our day but God blessed him and made his name great. Uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse 35, says he has become great. He says, thou shalt be a blessing, and his descendants were a blessing in the sense that through him and his descendants, the scriptures were preserved. The Jewish nation, the Jewish people are the ones who received the revelation from God, recorded it, and gave us our Bible and guarded our Bible through difficult times. Also, it's through him that the birth of Christ came about, through Abraham and the nation. So so God has taken one nation. He's he's established a structural framework on the earth to prepare for what he wants to do. And then in that framework, he goes down and picks out one man who, who will be one nation that he's going to do special work with. And out of that one nation, of course, we know is going to come Christ eventually. And that will be the way, ultimately, that he will be a blessing to the nations. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, look at this statement, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. This reaches out a little bit beyond Abraham because this is a promise that Abraham can be encouraged by, but it's a warning to the rest of the world about, about the nation of Israel and the descendants of Abraham, that you'd better be careful. These are God's special group of people. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, a little bit more. And so uh, these are what we might call the stipulations that God made but before we move on to the, the pattern here that we've been using to compare the different dispensations, I want to I say a couple things more about this covenant. Number one, this covenant was unconditional. It God did not say, if, if you, then I. If you, then I. If you, then I. He said, I will, I will, I will. That's what God said to him. It is Unconditional. Number two is also everlasting. It is an eternal covenant that God has promised uh, to fulfill not only at some particular point, but forever. And I, I want you to look at that in particular if you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 8. God says, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, one of the arguments between the Reformed, who say the church replaced Israel because Israel killed christ and god finished with them and took all the blessings that were to go to them and gave it to the church therefore there's no future for israel this would be a lie of god to his people because he said they would have the land as an everlasting possession okay So there has to be a future for Israel, and there has to be a future for Israel in the land because God said it would be an everlasting commitment that he would give them a land. And then we find out in other texts, also a king. And so God is going to bless and direct in their lives. Uh, The other chapter I wanted you to look at here is chapter 15. Look at these verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield, thy exceeding great reward. Well, that's, that's wonderful. That should really put you on a mountaintop. But wait a minute. It didn't, it didn't put Abram on a mountaintop. Look. What, and Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me? Seeing I go childless. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. He's saying... You know, for God to say he's his shield and exceeding great reward, nice thing to say, but it just doesn't seem to be working out in life. He hasn't got any progeny. God promised him descendants of the stars of the sky. Where are these descendants? And, and Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. Lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And verse 7, there's our famous verse, verse 6. I don't mean to skip that. We already looked at it. Verse 7, and it says, Abraham believed the Lord as counted for him for righteousness. And verse 7 says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur the Chaldees to give thee to this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old. Now, I'm not going to read this one, so I'll tell you real quick. They had a way of confirming a covenant in those days. And it was to take an animal and cut him into pieces and lay the pieces in two rows. One represented the uh, one making the covenant and the other represented the one with whom the covenant was made. And then the individuals who were making the covenant would walk between those animals that had been cut into pieces as a statement that if I break the terms of this covenant, then I shall be separated, I shall be departed, torn apart the way these animals have been. And that's what's happening here. But there's a strange thing Adam does, or Abram doesn't walk through. The aisle between the cut-up animals. Only God does. And that is a, a, a pictorial lesson to us: that the covenant is unconditional. There is nothing that Abraham can do to make him deserve to be cut up. And God, anyway, at any rate, God would not cut him up. But God is saying, I'm I'm swearing to you by this familiar pattern to you that this is a commitment I am making to you that is unconditional. Okay? So the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional and it's eternal. That is the whole argument between Reformed people who think that the church has replaced Israel and us who think there's a future for Israel. Is that this is an eternal covenant and that this isn't a This is unconditional covenant. And and so it it continues through all time. It's still in force today, exactly as it's written here. Sometimes people of this persuasion will argue with you, well, during the great days of the kingdom, Israel did occupy all the land that is promised here, and so it was fulfilled. But in reality, there's two problems with that. Number one, they may have occupied it, but they didn't own it. In some of those cases, it was nations paying tribute to them. They didn't actually hold and own the land. First problem. Second problem is this is an eternal promise. It wasn't like it was attained once and then it was over. God says an everlasting covenant to Abram and his seed. So there has to be a future to Israel based on the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? So let's, let's move on. Okay, uh, our main points of comparison. This, this one focuses on one man and his progeny. And, and this, this was quite an individual. Uh, dads, there's a challenge here for us. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, God makes this observation for us about Abraham. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Abraham was quite a great man. He deserved the admiration of his descendants, not the worship, but the admiration, not the presumption of being related to him, but the admiration as having a tremendous testimony for God. Remember, it was him who came within a split second of sacrificing his own son at God's command. Uh, What an amazing, what an amazing man of faith. Uh, Man's responsibility, believe God's promises. God gives this wonderful positive promise. Believe his promise, live in light of his promise. He says you're gonna occupy the land, go and occupy the land and And all the problems that are associated with occupying the land, namely all the people that are there, God will take care of if you just believe in his promise and follow his leadership. That was the responsibility. Well, man failed. They went down to Egypt for a famine, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But they never came back. They stayed in Egypt. They didn't go back and try to carry out you know God promises us things but he accepts us to pursue them with what limited activity or ability we may have and as we pursue them in our finite limited sometimes humble and difficult way then he intervenes and fulfills the promise but they had abandoned the promise and had stayed in Egypt they strayed also Egypt did not bless God's people If we turn to Exodus chapter 1, we find out what happened here. It says here that there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And what did he do? He put them into bondage. He didn't bless them. So what happened? Well, God's judgment was bondage for, for, for Israel. The king putting them under bondage was the judgment for them not going back to the land. They wouldn't have had that problem if they had gone back to the land. But also, God brought judgment upon Pharaoh by the plagues of Egypt because he did not bless God's people. So, Abraham's covenant was carried out by the Lord in the providence of events to follow. And so, the dispensation of promise. Now, We pointed out in the beginning this verse. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What can we learn? What can we learn from what we've studied here about the Abrahamic covenant? Let's look at it. Well, number one, we can trust God and act upon his promises. Now, be careful, not, not all the promises of Scripture are, are promises to us, but many of them are. And when we find promises in the Scripture that are to us, then we're, we're blessed by one of, the, one of the big discussions about this subject is that you'll often see in our country today people using the verse, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and call upon me, I will heal their land. Goes a little bit more, that's a paraphrase. You know, that's not a promise to us church people, that's a promise to Israel. Uh, because Israel, if in in the law code, if they obeyed, they'd be blessed materially. God says, if you obey, you won't be the tail, you'll be the head. If you obey, I'll give you the land, and the, and the enemy will be your servant. If you obey, I'll bless you. If you don't obey, I'll curse you. They got on two mountains, screamed back and forth, and Tiffany, if you do this right, I'll bless you. If you do this wrong, I'll curse you. So if you humble yourselves and seek your Lord, I'll bless you with the land. But wait just a minute. Strictly speaking, that doesn't apply to us, but there's another principle, and the principle is when you obey God's direction in your life, he will bless you. The only issue here is it isn't necessarily physical blessing. He, this is a big difference between Israelites in the Old Testament and us in the New. God guaranteed Israel that if they obeyed him, he would bless them materially. And when it's all said and done, getting ahead of myself here, he's, he's made a promise to them that is one-sided, and he is going to bless them materially. He's going to give them a land forever, like he promised the Abrahamic Covenant. But it's not going to be because they obeyed. It's only because he intervened. We'll talk about that more later. But to us, you read in the New Testament. You don't read in the New Testament about God giving us houses or lands or crops. What do you read about in the New Testament when a Christian follows God? You read about storing up treasure in heaven. You read about storing up treasure in heaven. It's not a material. When you, when you, when you obey God, he blesses, but it, it doesn't demand a material blessing like it did for Israel. It's a spiritual blessing. It may be material, by the way. When we obey God and do things the way he wants us to do them, there are, re- there are natural consequences that are rewards. And, and if we don't, if we, for example, if we're uh, fidelity, if we honor fidelity in our marriage and relationships, there's, there's an honor. I mean, you're going to have a lot less problems in life than if you're a fornicator. All you got to do is watch the news about that one. You know there are natural outcomes of obeying God, uh, but anyway, let's look on. So that very, uh, let's look at Hebrews 11, uh, which talks about Abraham and gives us some insight. It says, 11:8, uh, "By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went." You know what we said? By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, hence the idea of the dispensation of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise, God's promise to Abraham. It affects our attitude toward Israel politically, this teaching for us today. Now, Israel is not a saved nation like it will one day be. But it is still God's people. And God holds nations responsible for how they treat his people even when his people are apostate. I'm running over time so I can't really do this now. You go to Zechariah chapter 1 and you'll find the story of the four horns and the four carpenters. The four, they, they, it illustrates this. That Assyria and Babylon who were the, the uh, oppressors and destroyers of Israel by God's hand. Assyria was the rod in God's hand. Still had to be held responsible and paid for what they had done to God's people. They were still judged by God for it, even though they were used by God as a rod in his hand. And they were doing their free will. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? And, and that's still true today. This covenant is unconditional and eternal. So you better be careful how you pick. It doesn't mean you have to always re- agree with Israel. It doesn't mean you have to be 100% in agreement with everything they do it doesn't mean that but, but you better not set yourself against their, their, uh, their future you you'd better take whatever opportunity you can to be a blessing when it's right to do so it affects our outlook on prophecy because if this covenant is eternal and everlasting there's going to be a future for Israel and we're pre and if not we're amillennialists or post-millennials. But we believe that the nation has a future and Christ is going to return. Uh, God is developing a plan of salvation as we look at this. In retrospect, we read about the nations being blessed. And what do we think of? We think of Christ coming. We think of the church reaching the whole world, with, reaching out to everywhere in the world with the gospel. Nations in any part of the world, any nation, any, you can take the gospel there and give them a way of salvation. You can be a blessing to those nations by presenting the gospel there. And that way, because they are the ones who propagated the birth of Christ. So in conclusion of this time period, we make this statement. Man falls short of being able to live obediently before God even in the assurance of God's promises. They knew they were promised the land. They went to Egypt for food, which some people debate about whether they should have, but whether they should have or not, they didn't come back to the land. They didn't trust the promise of God and put whatever ability they had, whatever influence they had, into following it to give God an opportunity to bless them. So we're going to see, as we look at these different stewardships, the first telling us about how we became sinners. The second telling us about what a desperate situation that is and there's no way out of it on our own. The third telling us that governments and organizations to, to do good and punish evil are not going to really change us. They may restrain us, but they're not going to really change us. And now, we, and now we come to this dispensation of promise and we find God gives us a wonderful, glowing promise to motivate us to love him and follow him. And we still don't do it. What is the only answer? Come back next week. It's 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 amazing. Because we come to the Mosaic covenant next, and this starts to develop some interesting things. Because the Abrahamic covenant said, Israel bless you materially no matter what. I'm committed to blessing you materially. And then the next covenant says, If you don't obey me, I'm gonna curse you. If you don't obey me, I'm gonna not give you the land. Now, how do you reconcile those two covenants? They're contradictory to one another. We'll find out. Father in heaven, convict us where we need to be convicted today in these different things we've talked and thought about. Lord, I pray that you'd work on our hearts. That we not be here, that we would be here searching for a little concept, a a little thought, something maybe that's been an issue in our mind or hearts. Lord, maybe maybe there needs to be a framing of a right worldview. What a wonderful thing to understand the Bible and how it all unfolds before us. Lord, the the title, No no Excuse. We're we're seeing as the Bible unfolds this marvelous, intricate, well-designed plan to communicate progressively to us as sinful, blind people what God has done all through history to bring about our salvation and a wonderful, glorious future if we trust in him. Pray, Lord, for any that may not be trusting in him this morning, either for their salvation or for their walk, that you would work in their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Come, Joel.